Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. The conversation continues with James Freeman on today's news talk, TNT Radio. Hello and welcome to the Freeman Report, which puts the world's leading scientists, doctors, politicians and expert commentators right at the heart of today's news talk and our fight for freedom, liberty and justice. My name is James Freeman and today is the last day of what always seems like the longest month, but actually isn't. Um, So far, I would say that 2024 is definitely living up to predictions that it will be an eventful year globally. Civil war has been trending in America over the past week as Texas stands up to the Biden administration in its dispute over illegal migration at the Texas border. And it is quite the standoff, given that 25 other Republican state governors are standing with Texas, many of them sending troops um, to to Texas to see off federal agents. Now, provided it doesn't end up in civil war, and I don't think it will um, over this particular situation, I don't think it's a bad thing that Americans are being shown what the Democrats are up to. Because when you're trying to force a US state to take down border infrastructure, that will let in many more tens and tens and tens of thousands of illegal migrants. Well, it's pretty difficult, isn't it, to argue that you have the best interests of the country at heart. Not when major cities across the US are struggling to process and house large numbers of migrants. Chicago, Denver and New York City in particular are not coping with the sudden influx of new entrants to the country. But it's not just these cities. The problem is widespread across the country. The question it poses for Americans is, why would a US president, whose primary task it is to protect Americans, not just allow this to happen, but actively make it easier for illegals to enter the country? It is an interesting question because many Americans are very worried about who is entering the country at a time when the US has many, many enemies around the world. Is the objective to destabilize the country, to create an emergency that requires certain measures to solve, like digital IDs on CBDCs? Or is it to create more democratic voters? It is clear that democratic states are changing voting laws to allow people to vote without any ID. Or is it both of them? I think it's good news, this standoff, to be honest with you, because, like I said, it shows that the Biden administration's actions, um, they're having a light shone on them. Um, Who knows where it'll end up? But I do think it's a good thing at the moment because it does show Americans that their president has not got their back. Canada has also given us some good news in the past week after a federal judge said that the Trudeau government's use of the Emergencies Act in early 2022 to stop trucker protests was unreasonable and, more importantly, unconstitutional. Now, this is a really important ruling that is hopefully the nail in the coffin 
for the World Economic Forum's poster boy, uh, Justin Trudeau, who lied about the protesters, calling them Nazis and claiming that they were being violent when they were being nothing of the sort. All to justify a totally made up threat to national security. It is amazing news, therefore, because not, <clears throat> excuse me, not only does it mean that the government has lost this defence um, against protests if the truckers or any other part of Canadian society rises up again, not only has that been achieved, but it has also dealt a severe blow to Trudeau and revealed his lies to the Canadian people. This is good news. And so I'm delighted that my second guest today is Canadian politician from the People's Party of Canada and chief editor of FNL News, Daniel Bryson. Daniel's boss, the leader of the People's Party of Canada, Maxime Bernier, is a friend of mine and he has been on the Freeman Report many times before. Um, I've got very high hopes for the party at the next general election in Canada. And so, as well as discussing the Trudeau government, I'll also be asking how things are going for his party. Right. Now, given that I've announced my second guest first, you're probably wondering who my first guest is. Well, he's a man who understands data, and there is a lot of data to talk about at the moment. For starters, the Office for National Statistics has just released data predicting that the UK population will grow to 70 million by 2026 and 74 million by 2036, with the vast majority of that growth coming from immigration as opposed to new births. Now, for reference, the current population of the UK is somewhere around 67.7 million. So that's quite a few extra million people on this small island. The politicians have been telling the British public for two decades that they will promise to get immigration down. Um, the Tories famously promised to get it down to the tens of thousands under David Cameron. And yet recent figures for the year to July 2023 were three quarters of a million new people living in the UK, just over 12 months. And of course, this is after Brexit which has given the UK government more control over immigration. Because it's not the boats crossing the English Channel that is causing this rise in the UK population. Those numbers pale in comparison versus legal migration, which is more than tenfold the number of illegals coming across the Channel. So, it's clear to me that the politicians are actively mocking the British public at this point. And with a Labour government in the wings, I think the ONS projections could actually end up being even, well, not the projections being higher, but the actual numbers being actually higher um, than the ONS predictions themselves. So what the hell should we make of all of this? We'll also be discussing climate reporting by Sky News, if you can call them a news channel, that is. Um, Sky News ran a headline this week saying wild, wildfires um, that have been reported in Scotland following January's hottest ever temperature being recorded in the UK. Now, the thing is, the wildfire was actually caused by a damaged power line 
Yet Sky News linked the story to hot weather, which in itself is absolutely dodgy because, well, it has been a mild January. It is still flipping cold. I mean, it's January, for God's sakes. So to discuss all of this and more, I'll be joined by former head of health analysis at the Office for National Statistics, excuse me, Jamie Jenkins. So stay tuned for all of that after today's breaking story in a moment with Gemma Cooper. If you want to get in touch, then please do um, email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And you can join in the conversation if you want. Just head over to tntradio.live, click on the chat icon. And please, please, please make sure you're following us on all of the social media platforms on X. You can find us at, at TNT Radio Live. Um, but we're also on Facebook and other social media platforms as well, Getter um, and Gab and others. My name is James Freeman. And this is the Freeman Report for today's News Talk. TNT. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I come to you for facts. I really appreciate what you and your team do. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello, Gemma. Hello there, James. Yeah, I was looking at that story earlier with Dean Mackin, the Office for National Statistics prediction about the 70 million. And I thought, well, those are just official figures, aren't they? That's based on what we already know have come in. That's so, you know, for every one person that's come in, how many people do we not know about? And what what's the reality of that prediction? Is it more, you know, is it much more? How much more? Yeah, it's a, it's a developing story, that one. Yeah, definitely. And my, you know, my questions are all going to be around infrastructure. Um, I'm not suggesting I agree with with the numbers, but, you know, if the politicians are, are, are going to agree to these numbers and they're going to just rubber stamp them, then they least need to argue the fact that, you know, they're putting in place the infrastructure. We need more water reservoirs, for example. None have been built in 30 years, despite the increase of the population. Then we've got the electricity grid, which we're told you know, people are being paid not to use electricity so that we don't have blackouts. Well, what's going to happen when we've got an extra, you know, six million people um, living in the UK? All of these questions, I think, are really, really important. Personally, I would like the population to stay around the same as it is now, um, because, you know, when you're traveling around the country, it's clear that, um, you know, the roads are absolutely chock-a-block. Um, um, you know, we've seen already a huge increase in the population over the past sort of 20, 30 years. I don't know that it's a good idea that we invite more people to this country. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll be talking about all of that in a moment with Jamie Jenkins. So, um, Gemma, because I know you've got a, a breaking story for us. Well, it's regulations that come in today about food, actually, and it, uh, food chiefs are warning that this uh, paves the way even further for further supermarket dominations. That's one of the reasons the farmer's been out and, uh, you know, in force across Europe about the supermarkets not paying, among other issues, the reasons the farmers are out in France, Germany, etc. But today in the UK, these are Brexit rules that come into force today and will be further strengthened in April. And these new rules are, are stopping the supply, uh, some are arguing, of specialist imports from Europe, things like meat and cheese and some plant uh, products. Uh, from today, uh, under the new rules, which are the border target operating model rules, all these type of imports, which are now going to be deemed medium and high risk, 
coming in from Europe. They weren't before, uh, but they need to have a health certificate with them from today. And from April the 30th, products coming in from Europe like this will have physical health checks at UK borders to make sure that they are fit to come into the country. Now, the government is saying that these new rules are stopping the spread of disease and pests, but we didn't need to have them pre-Brexit. These products could be traded much more freely. Um, and they say that these new rules that come into force today do strike the balance between trade and biosecurity. But uh, other organizations here in the UK, like the Guild of Fine Food, which represents 12,000 independent businesses here in the UK, things like delicatessens and, and specialist food outlets, things like that. It says that these, uh, these new rules mean so much red tape and so much extra cost to businesses in Europe that we risk losing their, their trade and their products. And it would just be mass produced supermarket goods that dominate the UK food scene. Uh, some European firms who supply the UK have already pulled out. They say the red tape and the money is just not worth it. The entire cost per year of this new food border safety scheme uh, is 330 million of which those small businesses would have had to fit the bill. And unsurprisingly, then, many are saying, well, we can't afford that. We'll just continue to trade within Europe only and we'll leave Britain out of it. So with a lot of debate about farming, where our food comes from, independent local suppliers, both within this country and in Europe, it seems that the supermarkets will benefit from this new uh, trade rule, which comes into force today, which has come into force today, and mean less choice, less uh, diversity for the consumers. And possibly, you know, if some of these firms in Europe were, had quite large contracts with, with venues and outlets here in the UK, it's potentially putting them out of business as well. But certainly I think supermarket dominance, um, when already the farmers are feeling the squeeze of the supermarkets, is an issue we'll have to watch with these new trade rules that come into force, have come into force today. Right. Now, Gemma, this is the first I've heard of this story, so um, I'm just kind of thinking on my feet. But is this really about the supermarkets getting more um, becoming more dominant? Because these are um, these products we're talking about being brought in from Europe are um, premium um, quality products. Is this not an opportunity for UK producers to fill the gap um, and actually for there to be more space in the UK market for um, producers of fine cheeses, um fine you know all, all these um meats and, and all this kind of thing that we import from europe is um does it does the report talk about that at all no the the outlets quoted uh mainly the the representatives from the guild of fine foods which does represent you know twelve thousand businesses in the uk that's quite a substantial amount of business and tax that those businesses will be paying they're warning that they will uh, in, open the pathways for the supermarkets to have more dominance they did not talk about the opportunities as you rightly say for independent mm. local uk producers whether or not they can produce goods of the of the standard and the style that are coming in from from Europe is is debatable. Um, but they're, no, they're not quoted uh, as saying anything along those lines of looking upon this as a an opportunity for UK producers as opposed to uh, bad news for consumers and European producers. Um, but the one thing is certain: the rules have come into force today, and they will be strengthened in April. So it's certificates at the moment coming in, and then in April it'll be physical health checks at at uh, UK borders for all these products, which probably will take up a lot of time. Um, and we'll see by then probably the knock-on effects of how this is how this has begun or not begun to work. But yeah, you're quite right. It could have it could be an opportunity for more UK producers to say, well, there's a gap in the market. These 12,000 businesses were getting those products from Europe. Now they could get them from us. It could, it could be a good news story.
Yeah, exactly. It doesn't surprise me, though, that um, an organisation that represents a particular field would be um, a bit put out um, if there's going to be changes and maybe even reducing um, their sort of um, power and their, their their coverage. That doesn't surprise me that they're coming at it from that angle. But it does sound to me like this could um, be an opportunity. There's lots of ways when you create a trade agreement with another country, there's obviously the economics of it. So you're talking about price, you're talking about quantity, but another way of, 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 of controlling trade and making sure you get the right balance between creating an opportunity in your country and allowing you know your producers to flourish and not be sort of out competed by particularly from coming from a lot of Europe because don't forget the subsidies there are much much higher um, than producers get in this country so there needs to be some protection um, I think for our producers as well um, the government at the moment um, certainly for farmers is um, James, who James, um, I'll remember his surname in a second, um, who was on um, This Week Farmer um, for PX Farms. He was saying that the subsidies for farmers in the UK are about 25% what they were um, for um, before Brexit. So there is this imbalance. So the UK government, I think, is right to think about how does it protect UK producers. And also, like I said, it's, um, you know, it's actually creating a space in the UK that can be filled by maybe a growing industry here of um, fine wines and foods um, and, and actually pro um, producing an opportunity. So, so yeah, um, I, I will look into that story, though. Um, like I said, Gemma, that's the first I've heard of it. So I might be totally wrong, um, but that's kind of my take on it. And a very interesting take, too. <laughs> Fantastic, Gemma. Um, a great story. Um, look forward to um, speaking with you again tomorrow. Right, okay. Um, we're going to be talking about a very interesting topic next. It is something I think which could be probably one, well, if not the, it will certainly be one of the top um, sort of items in the general election in the UK this year. Um, I am talking about immigration, of course. Um, it is a real concern for a lot of people in the UK, um, both the illegal type. So those coming in undocumented across the channel, we've got no idea who they are and where they're coming from, but also the legal route as well. We've just seen, like I said, recent numbers, three quarters of a million new people in just 12 months in the UK. So it is an incredibly important topic. And we're going to be discussing all of that after this short break um, when Jamie Jenkins joins me in a second. So don't go anywhere. Stick with us on TNT. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan, whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behavior and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the truth shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit, and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account, except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. government is proposing a law known as the hate speech bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. 
next month, next month, and then on to the next month. This law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bin the hate speech bill. The net zero con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio TNT. Right. Well, my next guest is no stranger to the Freeman Report. Um, he is Jamie Jenkins. He's my old colleague from the Office for National Statistics. Um, hello, Jamie. How are you doing? Yeah, all good, James. How are you doing? Good? Yeah, yeah, really good, actually. Um, obviously, we went video um, before Christmas at TNT, and things seem to be going in the right direction, um, definitely getting a lot of coverage. Um Jamie, now, like I said, you've been on the show many times before, but I wonder if you wouldn't mind. Um, I just assume that everyone knows exactly who you are. Um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about your background um, in stats um, and also where people, importantly, can go and follow you if they like what you're talking about. Yeah, so I knew you were going kind of video, James. So I've been on a bit of a diet for a few months to try and get a get a much better video picture of myself. So, uh, but yeah, I worked at the Office for National Statistics um, with you. So I've done a lot of work in the last twenty or so years in the government sphere, looking at different topics, labour market, health, and and one of the things I probably where my social media profile came more to prominence was during the pandemic that we had, partly because I was sat there, lockdowns were going on. I've been responsible for doing a lot of data in government, no longer working in government. So you can have a bit more of a voice uh, outside of because um, if you're a civil servant, you can't really be talking about government policies. So I did a lot of updates across Twitter. So you can kind of catch me stats, Jamie, on what's called X now or Instagram, Facebook. And people can find me doing a lot of updates on what was going on in the pandemic. And then uh, as, as things kind of evolve from there branching out to talk a little bit more about the wider political sphere and a lot of the the nonsense that kind of gets brought about and 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 we'll probably touch on a few of those things today and i think we're going to probably talk about ons figures on migration which you just mentioned in, in the previous section there as well yeah and i definitely um if you're watching this i definitely recommend that you go and follow jamie um he is the place to go to if you want to understand the stats he's usually got a blog um or some kind of graphs or something which he publishes he's very very timely on different topics and you'll be able to find out what the actual numbers say um because quite often what the politicians are telling you um is a whole other matter altogether now jamie obviously we used to be colleagues at the office for national statistics here in the uk um there is a story out this week um, from them. They published some po population projections, haven't they? Tell us all about the projections, first of all. Yeah, so first question is, why do we need population projections? So they feed in pretty much to a lot of what we do in life. So local authorities will use them to try and work out, okay, how many houses do we need to build? 
the health service will need that in terms of, well, how many older people are we going to have so that we can plan maybe more hospitals or plan the workforce? I think that's partly where the UK government has failed in the last 10 or 20 years, James, is because we've had population projections produced, you know, frequently decade after decade. They clearly haven't put in the infrastructure with this aging population. And, and what the latest figures are showing us is that we expect the population in the UK up to about 2036 in the next 12 years to increase to about 74 million people. And now about 6 million of that is going to be through more people coming into the UK than leaving, which is you know net immigration. But I think the big number that we need to focus on is what are the assumptions? Because when you project, it's like any forecast, you, you're kind of having to put a lot of assumptions in to work out what may happen in the future. So they've assumed, now births and deaths are pretty easy to kind of a, a work out because you know, we can work on the birth rates relatively stable over to, over the short term. The death rate will relatively be stable as well. More older people might mean more deaths, but you can kind of work those numbers out. It's the migration number that's the uncertain number. So I think you just talked about the record levels of migration that we've seen in the UK in the last couple of years. They're assuming in their long-term projections that we'll have about a net immigration of 315,000 a year. Now, that is is higher than what they were previously projecting, but it's still lower than what we've actually seen in the last few years. So if what we see in the next few years continues, the 6 million more people through net migration will be significantly higher. And the point you were just discussing there, James, on the show was that if you've got more and more people, we're not building the services. People talk about mm. climate change and CO2 emissions. Well, more people in the UK means more CO2 emissions as well. So if you talk about net zero, it's going to make that more challenging if you want to achieve that. And ultimately, James, you know, we don't put the infrastructure in for the current population. So how are we going to cope with another six, seven, eight million more people in the next decade? Yeah. Now, Jamie, let's stick with the numbers, first of all, because how do they, I'm not sure whether you know this, by the way, because obviously neither of us have worked in the population um, division at ONS. Well, I don't think you have anyway. Um, how do they work this out? Because it's very, very political, isn't it? The number of people coming into the country, um, you know, it's particularly now after Brexit, when actually the government has got a lot of more control over the legal, obviously the illegal, it's it, well, the government is saying it's very, very difficult to turn the boats back. But those numbers are relatively small. We're talking what I think maybe this year it's going to be 40, 50,000, something like that. Whereas obviously the legal numbers um, for the 12 months to July last year were three quarters of a million. And that's all down to politics. Um, how do they, I mean, do, do the ONS know something that we don't, that the Labour government are going to just let in millions? So the way the estimates are created now, historically, they used to be kind of done by when people land at the United Kingdom airports, they would do some surveys to try and work out. And it's, a bit, it's a bit like anything that you do. You rely on a survey to try and understand how many people are coming in, same with the unemployment figures. So they would do a survey. And then, but the difficulty you've got there is that it wasn't robust enough. It wasn't picking up everybody that we need. So what the ONS have done in recent years is they've improved the collation because obviously when people come into the country and they become a, a long-term immigrant so they stay more than they're not basically coming on holiday they use a lot of administrative sources so you can work out basically how many people are in the uk by looking at applications for visas and certain other things the more challenging number then is how many people have left because obviously if they've left the uk they might not deregister with a doctor they might have gone to new zealand as immigrant you know immigrants over there 
So that's more of a challenge. And I think they still rely on some of the surveys to try and work some of that bit out. Yeah, but Jamie, I was thinking more um, about how do they know um, how the situation is going to change going forward. The, the Conservative government are now talking about raising the wage threshold for people to coming into the country, and they're raising it quite significantly from around twenty six thousand um, um, pounds a year to thirty eight thousand. That means if you want to come here and work in the UK, you need to be earning a minimum. Um, they're also putting other restrictions in place as well. So, you know, these things other things which control the number of people that come in so how does the ons um know that like i said are they assuming that the the next labor government is just going to open the gates well three hundred fifteen thousand, you could argue isn't opening the gates it's actually closing the gates a little bit because in recent years it's been more than double that so they have to put some assumptions in. they'll do a, a variations on them as well so they might have a, they've got some which assumes a higher number some that assumes a lower number say my point would be there's six million more immigrants, which will drive other net immigrants that will drive a population increase to up to 74 million by 2036. Is that too kind of optimistically low because of the 315,000 they do assume? You're right, there are policies coming in from the government to, to kind of control immigration. But what have we heard from Theresa May, David Cameron? We've heard these policies in the past. And and, and I think your point is is a valid one that a lot of the media and a lot of the political rhetoric is about stopping the boats. That's 50,000 roughly, as you said, 750,000 up to, you know, it's like a million people coming in because some people actually yeah. leave. The actual illegal immigration is a small part of it. It needs to be tackled because you don't know who some of these people are. We saw in some of the recent figures, James, some of the asylum applications where some of them were just written off because people have vanished. So, you know, you think you've got all this border control, but some people are coming over on boats making asylum applications, vanishing into society, they've got to get a grip on that. But for me, the quality of life goes down when you don't put the infrastructure in to support the immigration that comes in. So it's all very well accepting the people in, and you get a lot of kind of people on the left wing side of politics who say, we should open the doors, embrace everybody. That's all very well to do it. But if you don't actually plan and put the infrastructure in place, everybody's quality of life goes down, and that can never be it good. It does. Thing. It does, because we haven't got the infrastructure. The infrastructure hasn't been put in place, and I can't see any plans by the government to actually um, rectify that problem. Right, Jamie, we're going to take a quick break now. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a second. What station is this? Station. Ladies and gentlemen, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Harrowing audio has been released of the moment a 15-year-old Palestinian girl was shot and killed by Israeli forces while speaking on the phone with Red Crescent officials pleading for their help. An Australian man hospitalised with heart complications stemming from the COVID-19 vaccine has had a massive win in court. And the European Union's foreign policy chief has admitted Western sanctions have failed to weaken Russia, with fighting only intensifying in Ukraine. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio. 
Right, Jamie, thank you for explaining the numbers there. And like we said, um, you know, there are lots of um, factors around this, you know, whether the government are building new um, water reservoirs. We talk about that a lot. They haven't built any in decades. And then they're blaming it on climate change, why nobody's got any water. There's all these other factors as well. But we're going to move on because we've got another story um, to talk about with Sky News. And this is linked to the climate. Jamie, tell us what Sky News have been reporting on in the last week. Yeah, well, some people call them sly news. I think I might be more apt um, thing in terms of what the story is. So um, just on their social media the day, we, we've we seen some kind of wildfires in the Scottish Highlands. Um, we have seen some warm temperatures this, this you know, in January. Uh, and so they kind of put this uh, tweet out videos of this wildfire in Scotland. And then they talk about these high temperatures that we've had in January. So so the reader will probably deduce from that that these wildfires are being caused by high temperatures, which naturally people will say, oh, it's all to do with climate change. But actually, um, if you look more into the detail and the devil is in the detail in this story, that there was kind of an electrical cable had an issue in, and up there and that caused the wildfire. Nothing to do with these temperatures. And, and if you think, I think we did see a 19 degree on the on the temperature dial in Scotland recently. If you think 19 degrees does that, then Scotland will be burning in the summer, absolutely burning. It is ridiculous, but not surprising, isn't it? Because um, I do remember, I think it was um, during sort of the COVID era, um, sort of, you know, two, three years ago, that Sky News actually announced, along with the British government, that it would be now reporting um, the climate in a very, very um, partisan way. It actually announced, they announced they were going to do this. Um but it is shocking, isn't it? Because, of course, last year um, in the summer, we had all of these stories about wildfires fires over um, in Europe, different parts in Europe, and they were all being linked to um, climate change, weren't they? But actually what happens in the end, um, the news that came out is that people were actually starting these. Um, so, yeah, um, but this is really, really pushing the envelope, I think, on um, uh, tying it to climate change in Scotland. Um, in January and, and and tying wildfires to the weather there. Um, yes, I think you're right, Jamie. Sly news is probably a better way of describing them. Um, Jamie, obviously you and I live in Wales here in the UK. Um, there is a lot going on with politics at the moment. We've seen the 20 mile an hour speed limit, um, which, you know, the campaign against that and the number of people that signed it is actually more people than voted for the Labour government we've actually got. Um, but there are more things afoot on there at the moment. Tell us what's going on um, in, in politics in Wales. Yeah, well, it's just a, a disaster of devolution continuing, James. So last week we've got some stories around um, this farming scheme and the fact that farmers have been Kind of if you want to continue with some government support you've got to give over i think about 10 percent of your land to plant trees which could cost the industry you know thousands of jobs 200 million pounds and, and and that's you know sometimes if you're planting trees and things you've got different types of farms might be more akin to planting them but it seems to be more across the board so taking farmland out of food production for trees because of the climate um emergency is what the welsh government would argue and the other thing as well is that Yesterday in the Welsh Parliament, they can had a debate and they're looking now to pass this policy of more politicians. So there's currently 60 members of the, the Senate and they want to increase that to 96. That's supported by Labour Party in the, in Cardiff Bay and the Plaid Cymru in Cardiff Bay, which, you know, it's going to add millions of pounds because it's not just the politicians, it's all the staff that comes with that. 
And again, you talk about the 20 mile an hour zone. If you take public support on that and you actually look at it, there's very little public support. In fact, most people are against the expansion. So it's just kind of, they argue, James, it was in manifestos, but as we've discussed in the past, you know, if you, every, there's loads of stuff in a manifesto. People vote for different reasons, not specific points. You've got to look at public attitudes. Clearly no support for this. But do the politicians care? Of course not. It's not what the public want. It's what the politicians want. Yeah, and obviously I ran um, for um, um, the um, European elections um, in Wales. And at the time, the clear message we were getting from the Welsh people was they were really confused about who is responsible for what. Um, in Wales at the time, we had, we've got councillors, got MPs, we've got um, MPs from the Welsh Parliament, and they were, was actually the Welsh Assembly. And at the time, we also had MEPs. So we had four different lots of politicians, all responsible for different stuff. Um, it was very, very clear in those elections and in subsequent elections that the Welsh people are confused about who's responsible for what. Um, the other thing that was clear, I think, from those elections, Jamie, was that they wanted fewer politicians, not more politicians. What are the Conservatives saying about this? So, so the Conservative Party line in Wales on this is it's a complete waste of money. I, I think I concur with what they're saying there. Um, the Labour Party is saying that the powers that the Welsh Parliament have are much greater than what they had when the Welsh Parliament or what was called the Welsh Assembly back in 99 was created. So we need more politicians. But well, why can't we? Basically, they say more politicians to scrutinise what's going on. My view, more politicians to do more stupid things for the population of Wales. But we've got Welsh mm. MPs. Some things have devolved. So if you're an English MP, technically you're overseeing health, education, as well as all the economic stuff there. And if you're a Welsh MP, you don't oversee health and education because that's devolved to the Welsh Parliament to do that. So why can't we tap into some of the resource there? Yeah, it is ridiculous, isn't it? We've got a, um, MPs um, that sit in Westminster in Wales that are responsible for fewer things than MPs in England. And yet now we're creating more politicians. Um, absolutely ridiculous. And there's one thing for sure. The more politicians you create, the more bureaucracy they will create. So it's not a good thing for Wales, I think. Um, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the um, Freeman Report today. Um, I hope you're, I know you've had, had a dry January. Um, I, I think you, you're looking good for it, Jamie. You've lost a bit of weight. I think I might have to follow you and have a dry February. Um, but thank you very much, um, ladies and gentlemen, Jamie Jenkins. Right. Okay. So from Wales, um, right all the way over to Canada. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about next. Um, obviously, we've heard about the um, the win in Canada against the use of the Emergencies Act by the Trudeau government. Well, next, I'll be joined by Daniel Bryson, um, who is a politician there. He's part of the People's Party of Canada, um, which is led by Maxime Bernier. Um, I've got high hopes for the party. So we'll be talking about the Emergencies Act and also about the People's Party of Canada. So stay tuned for that in just a second with us right here on TNT. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist 
and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. One scorching heat wave will leave me powerless to cool my insulin. When the storm rolls in, my time to find a pet-friendly evacuation center will have run out. <laughs> I'm relying on luck, but who knows if it'll be on my side. When it comes to disasters and emergencies, it's not a matter of if, but when. Take control. One, assess your needs. Two, make a plan. Three, engage your support network. Let's prepare so we all have a better story to tell. You're with James Freeman and the Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right, as I say, we're, we're going all the way to Canada now to talk about the Emergencies Act or the use of it by the Trudeau government and the win against it. And also, I want to hear um, the latest news from the People's Party of Canada and how um, Daniel thinks they're doing. Um, good morning, Daniel. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, thank you for having me on your show. Good morning, James, and uh, good morning, all the subscribers of TNT Radio. Fantastic. And um, first of all, Daniel, a big thank you to you for getting up very early this morning. It's 6.45 um, where you are in Canada at the moment. So big thank you um, for that. Daniel, big news, isn't it, this week um, from Canada? Um, great news, um, yeah. I should say, not just good news, it's great news. Tell us what's happened and what the political fallout has been for Trudeau. Yeah, it's a big, big news, you know, for the, all the freedom movement. It's a slap in the face in the government, uh, Trudeau's government, uh, or I, we should say Trudeau's gang. I, call, I don't call them anymore government administration. These, they, these were irresponsible. So the Emergency Act was uh, debunked in the federal court. And uh, of course, this, uh, the, the Trudeau's gang will appeal of that. But anyway, it was a big slap in the face. It was illegal and anti-constitutional to use this uh, at all against the freedom movement, freedom convoy. So they use uh, uh, too much power to manage it. In fact, to manage it. No, they, they didn't want to. They didn't want to manage it. That was the problem. Now. Obviously, you know, we're expecting Trudeau to appeal this, but let's just assume that the um, the decision that's been ruled on stands. Are there um, implications for those that um, were affected by these laws? For example, um, that we know the Trudeau government, as well as freezing bank accounts, they mm. took the licenses away for truckers to be able to operate. Um, I'm sure that, you know, and also people have gone to jail, haven't they? Um, people are still in jail in, yeah, in Canada yeah. to do with this. How does four, yeah, four of them? How does this impact them? Um, you know, are people going to be reimbursed money? Are um, are people mm. going to be able to sue the government? What what what's the what's the situation? 
Yeah, yeah, even for Maxime Bernier, for example, uh, and uh, Brian Pickford and many other people that uh, that sued the government before, and they lost the cases, you know. But now I think they could win their cases. And yes, the government, us people, will have to pay for it, uh, of course. And I just saw another one uh, was uh, uh, convicted uh, with uh, a fee four years ago. And then suddenly the case dropped this week, four years ago. So uh, you see that that would be a big impact for many cases. I'm sure about it. Yeah, sure. And I was going to ask you actually while you're on about Arta Pelosky, for example. I mean, he was actually put in solitary confinement for around 50 days. And then he was in house arrest for over a year um, for simply just giving a sermon and a speech um, to mm -hmm. the protesters. He, you know, he he told yeah. them to be peaceful. What's the situation with him now? And you said there was four others that are actually still in prison. Uh, for Mister uh, the, the pastor, and uh, I didn't follow. He was, uh, I think, he was free, but uh, uh, too many days in in, in a jail. Of course, uh, for all of them and for the other people, there will be. Uh, you know, reparations to do with them, to pay them, uh, of course. And then, um, well, that will cost what it will cost. Sadly, the people will have to pay for all the mess, the the, the messed up of the government. So that, and um, you you see the, the pastor, it was interesting because he was arrested. The rest of the Catholic church and other big churches, you know, uh, they all complied with the government uh, track to go to my to confine the, the confinement mandate but uh this guy example stand up and he was an example the problem was at this time many people you know many citizens uh was worshiping the government not not the people who standing against it uh i think the example uh will follow and uh you you're seeing what uh, what's happening in europe right now uh, the, the Freedom Convoy made a movement, created an example for others to follow. And you're seeing it in uh, Europe and also United States, you know, the kind of Freedom Convoy to, uh, to, to secure the borders in Texas, to help people uh, block the, the border there. So the movement was just a beginning. And, uh, well, Trudeau's made it his fault. Yeah, I mean, it's really good because he actually owns this, doesn't he? It was his government um, that that did did it all, and they they arrested these people. In fact, you know, it was Trudeau himself who helped bring about the Emergency Act by, of course, making lots of false and spurious accusations against the truckers themselves, saying that they were being yeah. violent, that they were Nazis, and all sorts of absolute nonsense. Go on, you're going to say yeah. something there, Daniel? Yeah, no, but in fact, we were. Terrorists, uh, white supremacists, extremists, ultra right, extreme right, blah 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 blah. All of these, of course. Uh, and uh, you use the the word Nazi. That's this is important because now, after seeing them applaud applaud uh, a Nazi in the parliament, in in fact, it was a projection, you know. And uh, I, I saw what you just post uh, on Ukraine, by the way. So Maxime Bernier told. From the beginning, we Canada should not be involved in that. In UK, I follow the <clears throat> the, the 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 trend of, uh, also about Ukraine. Uh, your uh, defense minister told once, "Hey, we're giving all our of our weapons. Where are they going?" Months ago, and now suddenly, mm. oh surprise, 
where were the, the weapons. And you know, with the Emergency Act, uh, we were near death to pass this. And it was important, not just against the, the Freedom Convoy and people, but with that, they could have sent us uh, to war, you know? And uh, yes, about the, the banking account, it has a huge, huge, huge effect. The Canada lost billions, I say billions of dollars of people saying, hey, what are you doing? I am not interested anymore to do business with banks because you can you, you can pick up what you want in our bank account. It's not safe. So yes, we lost billions of investors um, and many also from United States. They saw this and, uh, oh, oh <clears throat> I'm not interested anymore. Uh, BMO, Bank, Montreal Bank, uh, <clears throat> there was a meeting uh, last year uh, for the, uh, the uh, uh, actionaire, uh, you know, people who have uh, uh, invest in, in it. Uh, investment in it and they asked a question why did you block the, the account and they had complaints from clients big clients i'm not talking about citizen client you know big big clients mm. so the the emergency act was uh, uh the worst worst thing the government could do and they did it so, it, it, on the one hand, it was absolutely right, and we want to make sure that no government can do it again. But it did highlight what the Trudeau government was about, didn't it? It you know it pulled back the curtains because I think a lot of people he's a he's a smooth talker. He gives these very very intricate speeches, um, which you know I can see through. Lots of people can, but I think lots of people in Canada didn't see through um, what he was actually up to. Now. In terms of the people of, of Canada, do you think that, um, you know, I mean, what, what's Justin Trudeau's approval rating like at the moment? Um, do you think people are starting to see through him now? Yes, uh, we're seeing big fall, uh, big, big drop in the in the polls right now. In fact, if there was an election today, it will be uh, second or third uh, in opposition. Oh, wow. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it will lose. It will lose. It's done. And uh, it, it's, uh, for Quebec province, that's another thing because we have the Black Quebecois separatist uh, regional movement, which is still there. But for all the rest of Canada, liberals are third, second, third. Um, people uh, sense that uh, it was a, uh, uh, they, they were um, betrayed, betrayed. And uh, they saw the, the real face of Trudeau's gang and uh, even for the yeah. climate scam climate scam is falling apart too you know uh he began to have uh, other court cases that he lost like uh, the the plastic straw it's just an example of what he tried to do but he's losing it now so that's a good case the good, good thing and uh, I think there will be other other cases that we, he will lose um many, many of the subjects of people realize maybe uh, begin to realize that it was not a good choice to vote for him as a prime minister so-called prime minister do you think he might have um a, a an episode like jacinda ardern and just say i'm a little mm. bit tired and i need to go now are you expecting him to make it to the next election well that's a good question uh because he's seeing the poll he's in the bottom uh <laughs> you know real real low the problem is he, he, he could dismiss. We don't have an impeachment process in Canada. We don't have that. 
So he could stay in place uh, with the uh, with the collaboration of the NDP government, the so-called uh, um, yeah, New Democratic Party. Uh, it's a shame this this party now. So he has complicit, uh, uh, yeah, complicit uh, in in yeah. the in the house. That's a problem. So, but it could fall as soon. The government could fall as soon as March 2024. Now. Uh, it's a minority government, so he has to manage uh, to to discuss with other parties to maintain his uh, kind of authority, if I could say. Uh, he could dismiss, and uh, then the Liberal Party will launch a leadership race to replace him uh, just before 2025. That's a possibility. Uh, they, I know uh, for sure that in Canada, uh, inside the Liberal Party, there are many people inside the party who are, uh, want him uh, out you know they want to kick her kick the kick him out but uh he's still there and uh, i saw an article yesterday oh he could stay another uh, four years eight years blah 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 um technically yes but with the polls actually it's impossible he will be uh clean you know <laughs> wiped out yeah. of the, the government absolutely he will lose he will lose that that's for sure so yeah he is near the end that's a good thing. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, I, I maybe we could have a, a small wager on this. Um, I don't think he's going to make it to the next election because mm. I think his um, WEF masters will say, look, <laughs> you know, you're more of a problem to us now than you are a solution. So I think just like Jacinda mm. Ardern was moved on, I think we'll see that very soon with Trudeau. But we will yeah. see. Um, now, Daniel, um, Trudeau is part of the past. I think we can agree on that. Um mm -hmm. Maxime Bernier and um, the People's Part of uh, People's Party of Canada and yourself, obviously that's a party you're a member of. Um, they're the future, I think, aren't they? Tell us, um, the viewers, what um, the party stands for and how you think you're doing um, in the run up to the next election. Yes, it's a work in progress every day. Uh, we must continue every day uh, to to speak about our uh, our, our our points. You know, our values. Uh, we have strong values of freedom. This is why we were in the Freedom Convoy, part of it. Uh, you know, it was natural for us to be there. It was from our heart. Uh, we didn't have to fake it. Oh, we love freedom. No, no, no. For us, it's core or core value. Freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of economics, freedom of personal citizenship, and et cetera, et cetera. We want to, to give back Canada to citizens. Now, of course, it's uh, a new party on the on the field you know five years now uh, that's a good thing uh, five uh, six years six years the, the, uh, the, this year um and uh, maxime it continues uh, to to go on uh, shows to be uh, present in uh, as many provinces as he, he could as many places he was there with the Tucker Carlson uh, invitation in Calgary uh and Poilier was not there, uh, the, the other guy, you know. Um, it, we're still not afraid to to affirm that we love freedom and all the people who promote the freedom of thought, the freedom of speech, the freedom of economics and uh, liberties and uh, equity. So uh, our message uh, begins to, to, uh, to join the people more and more. We still have more and more members every week. So every day we have members. So it's a work, work in progress. And we'll see, it will be the choice of the people. They, 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 they could not say they, they, 
they, they, they won't have a choice. They will have a choice. This is important. Yeah. And I think, you know, your party is incredibly important because looking at the Conservatives, um, they're not really offering the solutions, which I think Canada are, are they? And um, I know that the, the the leaders of that that party talk about the WEF and how they're not going to implement their policies, but yeah. they seem like Trudeau light to me, um, not a real oh, freedom yeah. party like the People's Party of Canada. Um, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We'll have to get you back on soon to talk about how the campaign's going. Um, Daniel Bryson, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Right, okay. So, fantastic news about Trudeau. Hopefully my prediction will come true and we will see the end of him. Um, But don't go anywhere. Stay with us right here on TNT.